Hello, you're listening to the VoiceOver Hour podcast, season three, brought to you by the VoiceOver Network, sponsored by Hindenburg, Apogee, Source Elements, and Focusrite. My name's Rachel Naylor, and I'm your host. I've been a voice actor for over 20 years, working in all areas of voiceovers, including video games, commercials, promos, and narration. I'm editor of The Buzz magazine, founder and director of The VoiceOver Network, and I'm also a multi-award-winning entrepreneur. The VoiceOver Network is the number one place for voiceover professionals to get the best training, help, support, opportunities, and access to an amazing supportive community. We are all about helping, supporting, and strengthening the voiceover industry. The VoiceOver Hour podcast? Well, it takes you behind the scenes in the voiceover industry, sharing stories, insights, and so much more. They'll be dropping every Tuesday. They'll be up to an hour long, and I'll be talking to some fantastic experts in our industry, including voice actors, agents, producers, and casting directors. They'll be sharing their stories, as well as information and advice to help you with your voiceover journey. I started the VoiceOver Network seven years ago because I wanted to create a safe place for voiceover professionals to come together, to help and support each other, to get the right information and to strengthen this incredible industry we work in. The VoiceOver Network is a global community of voiceover professionals and I'm so proud of what we've created. I want to empower you on your journey. Hello and welcome to the VoiceOver Hour podcast. In this episode, I want to talk to you a little bit about anime. Anime over the last 20 years has become incredibly popular, and where it was once centered in Japan, it now resides globally. The problem I had was that there are so many amazing guests with incredible stories, I just couldn't decide which one to bring on this show. So what I've done, we've got four snippets of exceptional content for you to hear from world-class anime actors who we've had as guests on the VoiceOver Hour live webinars prior to this podcast. First up, we have Josh Martin, who is an anime legend with over 100 characters under his belt. We're going to hear how Josh started how he booked his very first anime, which was none other than Dragon Ball Z as Margin Boo, and how important it is to be producing your own work. So, um, and we started learning improvisation in school, and we, th- and we were good at that already. We were like, in those classes, we were already rocking. You know, we felt like it. And uh, we'd go to parties and people would hang around us because we were being funny as well. So we thought, Dad, we don't, why don't we start a comedy troupe? Nice. And so we did. And we made our own work. And, uh, and slowly but surely, through a couple of iterations, we became a comedy troupe called Section 8 Comedy. A little double meaning there from in the military. It's also in America. It's uh, public housing, uh, Section 8 housing. Mm. So uh, we were, we all lived with each other. We slept on couches and floors and we were all a little, um, you know, questionable in the, in the head as far as our material was going Uh, in a, in a, in a joking way. Of course, this is also 1998 Uh, times were much different. Our material uh, is definitely questionable for today. We were young, but you know, we were, we were going, we were exploring, 
We were figuring out things and we made our own work. Mm. And uh, one of the other guys in the comedy troupe was Mike McFarland. Uh, yeah. Some people in the anime world may know him as Master Roshi, among other things. Uh, he and I and Chris Rager with a couple of other guys were in the same comedy troupe together. And Mike was the first one to find out about uh, Dragon Ball Z in our area. And he, through being a fan, he found out that they were dubbing it right here, like just up the road from where we were. And he went and found out about auditions and he went and auditioned and he came back to uh, the show one night before the show. And he was like, dude, uh, they're, um, they're auditioning for, for cartoons, for uh, Japan. Japanimation. That's what it was at the time still. And, uh, and, and Rager in his true fashion went, well, if Mike can book a part, I can book a part. <laughs> so, so Rager went on and he booked Mr. Satan, sure enough. And after a bit, they invited Chris Sabat out to the show that we were doing. And I was doing a character called the Pillsbury homeboy who was, as you might be able to guess, uh, a gangster rapping Pillsbury Doughboy. The backstory was he got jumped on his way home from uh, school by the Keebler Elves. I don't know if you're familiar with American, you know, Pillsbury and, and Keebler. Anyway, it, it really didn't matter. We, we put them together regardless of whether you got it or not. And so I just made him uh, the cute voice and nothing says loving like my crescent rolls. <laughs> And then after he gets jumped, he gets all mad and angry and he goes home and he stews on it and he gets triggered. And next thing you know, he's smoking weed and writing gangster rap songs. Nothing says loving like the blunts I be puffing. <laughs> so fast forward to uh, Chris Sabat, director of... Dragon Ball Z and uh, voice of Vegeta, Piccolo, and every other character on Dragon Ball Z, uh, as well as current owner and producer at Okratron uh, 5000. And uh, he saw me do that character. And after the show, he goes, uh, I think I found the voice of Majin Buu. And I went, okay. I want you to come, uh, won't you come to the studio tomorrow and, um, and, and, and you can read for it. All right. Wow. So I went and he gave me the 411 of this big, crazy pink guy and um, showed me the script. And next thing I know, there's no lines. It's just all reactions. It's all, okay, watch this. And he's in a fight. Uh, he's just cute, but hungry. And he turns things to chocolate. And so it took me three sessions before I was convinced that they were going to continue to call me back to mm. continue to do this because I just didn't know. I, I didn't get it. I wasn't a fan of Dragon Ball Z or anime per se. Before that, I was more a fan of the American animation mm -hmm. uh, cartoons. Yeah. Bugs Bunny. Yeah. The classics. And, uh, but yeah, it took me a little while to catch up, but <sighs> blessed 20 years later. I started in 2001, and Amazing. who knew? Next up is Chris Rager, who also has over 100 characters under his belt, 
I really enjoyed talking to Chris and we talked about improvisation and the importance of doing it regularly, along with lip syncing and how that works from Japanese to English. I, I recommend to any students who come and take my uh, workshops that I've been teaching over the past few years, uh, improv, 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 improv. Mm -hmm. Even if you're looking to be just a serious actor or of any kind of acting, improv is just understanding the tools of improv and how it works and the listening, the give and take, um, and being able to really think on the fly and be able to add information and, and accessing that information quickly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just kind of learning that craft has been uh, uh, indispensable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and other, I mean, other, other skills that are super important in terms of dubbing, uh, I mean, obviously, sight reading has got to be up there as like one of the top. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and when I was in high school, I was a musician. I played the bassoon. Oh, uh, yeah. And so uh, understanding, you know, the musicality of things, which yeah. is very much something that takes place in dubbing, sort of the, yes. the tempo, the beat of things. Yeah. Uh, and sight reading, you know, mm. there's something you had to do in music. You know, you put slap a piece of music down, you'd be able to identify the notes, understand the notes and the rhythm of the notes and, yeah. and, and, you know, take the beat and go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that too, music for me has been uh, an enormous tool as well. And having uh, been a musician for many years, uh, uh, only added to the improv skills that I've mm -hmm. taken, you know, it's sort of that, uh, you know, when an opportunity sort of like this comes along, uh, you'd like to, to think that, you know, in some way you were lucky, but you were lucky that you were prepared with these uh, experiences you've had in your life mm. uh, to kind of culminate into uh, uh, something you never really thought about doing. But yeah. that experience actually uh, gave you the uh, tools to do it. So. Yeah. I love that about life. And you, you suddenly find yourself going, oh, my gosh, yeah, that really weird rubbish job that I had when I was younger oh that's really <laughs> helped me doing this now you know right so, right all, all the things that we do in our life kind of shape yeah shape us as actors as well because we can right. on, on all of those experiences well and as a as a young actor I did what a lot of young actors did is I waited tables and I bartended yeah. Yeah. Uh, and being able to have that back and forth with customers and yeah. uh you know knowing how to get a good tip out of a customer yeah. and those kinds of things were uh uh all, all through you know, those experiences of improv and, uh, you know, uh, understanding what it is to look someone in the eye and have a back and mm. forth with them and a give and take and, you know, using it to your advantage, as it were. Definitely, definitely. And so in terms of dubbing, because dubbing is kind of, is super hot right now and it's it's changed massively over the years, hasn't it? Um, in terms oh, yes. of it, it used to, it used to be very much, and, and I think it's fairly new, but it used to be, you know, dubbing was all dubbing English, not all, but majority is dubbing English into foreign languages. So right. English films, English TV shows. But what's happened recently is there's been a massive kind of switch. I mean, this is my, my opinion, you can tell me for a but, but massive switch into now, because of the streaming services, um, dubbing from foreign language into English is kind of the new big hot thing in the, in the in the voiceover world. Yeah, I, I think there are, are fans of uh, of different types of cultures and genres out there uh, that have, uh, are finding shows that they enjoy uh, outside of American shows or English shows. Uh, you know, but uh, uh, so very much fandom of things is is branching out. Mm. 
uh, across the world. So, I mean, coming from an English speaking country, the, uh, the other side of that wasn't, you know, uh, but, you know, as a kid, uh, there definitely was Japanese dubbed anime, you know, with yes. shows like, uh, may of course speed racer. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, uh battle of the planets, uh, uh, Star Battleship Yamato, or yes. we called it Star Blazers. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of those shows, uh, Robotech and things like that. So I, I was very much into those shows as a kid okay. watching it, not fully understanding that they came from Japan. Uh, yeah. But when I did, you know, we didn't call it anime. Anime was a, is a new term for me, at least in the past 20 years, because we called yeah. it Japanimation. Okay. Right? And, uh, and so that's what it was to me many years. And then when Dragon Ball came along, they're like, oh, it's an anime. I'm like, don't you mean Japanimation? They're like, we don't call it that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, I'll back up. This podcast is sponsored by Apogee, Hindenburg, Source Elements, and Focusrite. Source Elements. Pioneers in remote recording since 2005, whether you're narrating lines for films, audiobooks, animation or video games, with Source Connect, you will deliver remote voiceover takes in the highest quality and in perfect sync over the internet. This podcast is brought to you by Focusrite Vocaster. Focusrite's recording interfaces have already helped make more recordings than any other, ever. Now with Vocaster, it has never been so simple to get the best sounding podcast. With Auto Gain, Enhance, and Easy Start Tool, all the things you need to get recording. Vocaster is the easiest way to set up your show. Find out more at focusrite.com or search Vocaster. Tell the world. This podcast was sponsored by Apogee, your audio solution. When it comes to home studios, Apogee is on the cutting edge, providing excellence in every area. They creatively think outside the box to create solutions for all the day-to-day -day problems faced by voiceover artists. And finally, Hindenburg Narrator, intelligent and intuitive software editing to solve your most common audiobook narration challenges. From uneven levels and noise reduction to ACX and Findaway validation. Download your exclusive Von 60-day trial and $50 discount code at hindenburg.com forward slash voiceover network. Now, our next guest is coming at this from a little bit of a different angle, being in three of my favourite on-screen shows, which are Breaking Bad, Nashville and The Walking Dead. I was so excited to talk to Jason Douglas on the differences and similarities when comparing on-screen to anime. With him having countless roles in anime and video games, let us now hear from Jason as he shares an overview on all things performance. Well, let's back up even further and let's talk yeah. about stage, right? Yes. So when I'm working on stage, when I, you know, when I have the, the blessed opportunity to do yes. that nowadays, oh, we all, which yeah. is so much rarer, um, we are, we are really using our, our entire instrument. Um, and we are mm. sort of broadcasting that our yes. voice to the last row of the house. And there's yeah. a, there's definitely an awareness of, kind of the size of the room, the type yeah. of projection that's necessary. If mm -hmm. you're in a large proscenium stage space with yeah. 
a thousand seats. That's going to be very different from a, a small room um, where you're in a, maybe a more of a lab type, you know, theater in the round space. So mm. already at that point, you're, you're realizing I need to make adjustments to my performance based on, um, based on the room that I'm in and kind of the audience expectations of that performance. Yeah. And then you move sort of, uh, when you begin to move toward different types of performances, let's say on camera, Mm. I found that there was a distinct, there was a difference that the client expected when I would work on camera doing more commercial industrial type work mm-hmm. versus when I would go and do something that was more theatrical. So yeah. obviously narrative, you think about things like Breaking Bad or, mm. or, or what have you. Um, and the difference is that is that classic distinction between representational work and uh, presentational work. Right. So in representational work, and hopefully I don't get these backwards. um, And this is something I learned as a student in in an acting class for theater, uh, Mm -hmm. reading Uta Hagen. But in representational work, you're sort of representing or you're presenting an idea of a character's motivations or or her, you know, reactions. Whereas in presentational work, you are simply presenting a natural response. And and. in theater, we're striving toward a more presentational type of performance rather than representing. Mm. Um, and I find that on the difference between sort of more corporate work is they're tending to look for a more representational. Sometimes the client will ask you to do things that really you think pushes into the camera a bit too much. You know, it's very demonstrative. Yeah. Whereas when we're working on camera for a narrative, a film or television program, really the acting style that is most looked for is a completely naturalistic, almost, you know, someone wrote a book called no acting please, because Mm. honestly, that's where we are. Uh, um, And you can watch, if you watch old movies up to present day, you can definitely see an evolution in the acting style. Mm. And I think part of that is because of our, our techniques have our camera techniques have, and, and our miking techniques have become so good Mm. um, that you, if, if you put a close up on an actor that you, they almost don't have to do anything. If they think it, we will see it. Right. Mm. And so now as we move into a, a, a strictly mic situation, and this is what's interesting to me, obviously when I do a film, I'm mic'd, right? There's yeah. a, there's at least two microphones on me. There's going to be a lav mic. It's something I'm wearing and there's going to be a boom mic more like sort of roughly what I'm using here today. Um, and, you know, the, the audio editors are going to take that sound and they're going to decide, you know, which one here am I going to use this one? I'm going to mix it. So a, a motion picture is very audio intensive. You're mm. not hearing, you're not hearing that sound as it was delivered on the day. It's sweetened. There's a lot of things that are done to it, but they're still looking for a very natural, polished, but natural performance. So when we go into the booth, to record something that's for an anime Ooh. or a commercial um, uh, or, or a video game. We have to make another adjustment. We have to be able to adjust to the medium itself. Um, anime a lot of times lends itself to more naturalistic performance. On the other hand, you have to, you, you sort of have to deliver a performance that matches more or less what is seen on camera, what is seen on, on, yeah on, on the, on the screen. If you're giving a performance that's going to be animated later, it's important to know what the genre is. 
is this kind of a slapdash comedy and and the characters are are you know uh sort of pushing you know boundaries with their wackiness or is it something quiet and understated? I just did an anime that was released recently called After the Rain. No robots, no intergalactic menace, um, strictly a very sort of quiet, sweet, relational um, uh, piece, uh, front to back. And um, there are moments when the characters get a little, anim- I call it anime wacky. Um, mm. But for the most part, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a story about, it's a, a, kind of an innocent, you know, relationship story. And so that asks for a different style, I think. So mm. I think it's important. Um, and this is kind of a long answer to your question, but I think it's important to understand the genre in which we're working. Sometimes it's appropriate. I mean, if you're in a studio on a microphone or even in your own home studio, uh, with, with good equipment, um, you don't necessarily have to do a lot to mm. create a signal that can be recorded. But the question is, is that the appropriate performance for that piece? Uh, mm. You know, if it's a, you know, if it's a, 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 a detergent commercial, you know, that's going to have a different feel versus if it's a commercial for, um, you know, asking you to give to uh, perhaps, a, you know, a, a, a charity of some sort, you know, with a somber yeah. kind of mission. Right. So that's all part of the acting skill. And Mm -hmm. I I think it's important that we understand and emphasize that because I think a lot of people feel like they might hear that, Hey, you, you know, I I think I've got a great voice. Well, that's good. That's great. If you have a great voice, but you know, a a, a Stradivarius in the hands of, uh, of someone who can't play it is it's a doorway, you know, it, it, it it doesn't do what it was made to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we need to, uh, we need to, we need to build on, our, our natural gift, and we actually yeah. need to hone those skills. Finally, our fourth guest. With so many animes having films and video games associated to the franchises, you're about to hear from Sunny Strait on what it takes to jump from genre to genre, considering the script, images of the character, video if available, and of course, the situation. Sonny is not only a voiceover artist with countless credits under his name, but an artist too. There's a lot of crossover with video games for sure. Uh, And, you know, especially now that there's a lot more um, movies within the video games. So, I mean, it's basically the same, except for um, with anime, you're looking at something that, especially if you're dubbing, you're looking at something that's already been recorded or or already been animated. Yeah. So you have to match those mouth flaps on the screen, right? Yeah. Um, whereas when you're doing um, video games, it's generally, if they have anything, it's mm-hmm. usually a picture of the character. Yeah. Sometimes they'll have an animatic, which is a kind of a really rough animation, but it usually doesn't have mouth flaps. Yeah. So you've got to use your imagination more. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you don't have to match mouth flaps, in a way, it's actually easier to do anime because at least you're getting a look at the character's face and how they're emoting and you're able to project yourself into it more, you know, use it as an avatar a lot easier. It does help to see your character moving. Um, And I did an anime last year and that was a lot of fun, but I did, I did do a video game a couple of years ago, the Wolfenstein. And when, when I went in to do the original 
you know, to do do it, I just had the words, which is normal in video games. You don't have mm. any visuals. And then when I went back for the pickups, they created the character and, and she was moving. And so I was doing it to her movements, which was really fun. And so I was able to match her movements as I was saying the words. And that, yeah, that's that got to help. It really does help because it just gives you a bit more to play with in your imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's like, um, and sometimes they'll, they'll listen to your voice if they haven't done the animation and then they'll base it around you if you're already mm. cast, yeah. uh, which is cool too. Uh, but with having done anime for 25 years now, it is so easy for me to match flaps. I don't even think about it, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it actually kind of is helpful. I, I don't know. I think it's easier to do um, anime than it is to do video games. It's interesting. It is. I mean, it is a real, it is a real skill to to be able to, you know, and I was describing to people outside of the industry, but you know, the fact that you're looking at a screen, you've got the text on one side, you've got the video on the other side, you've got, you know, the director in your ears, you're hearing beep, beep, and you've got to be looking at both things. And and if if it's a long paragraph, it's really tough, you know, because Mm. you're still trying to match these mouth flaps while reading because you can't memorize it that quickly. At least I can't. Um, so what I tend to do, my, I, I use my peripheral vision mm-hmm. and just sort of look at, I can see the mouth flaps moving yeah. a little bit in the side and I just sort of, I can tell the meter, you know, yeah. and I just use that as a guide to get through it. Also, you know, after you do it for a while, um, if it's just a couple of sentences, mm. you can get the rhythm down pretty quickly in your head. And I'm then listening like, to the, to the Japanese version. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. while I'm recording, I'll notice that. I was too fast or not or too slow and I will make an adjustment while they're still recording, but not to the flaps. And then Mm -hmm. they just take that and they slide it over into place and usually fits. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the voiceover hour podcast. It's important to me that this fantastic genre is talked about. And I was so pleased to have four phenomenal guests to interview. Thank you for listening to the VoiceOver Hour podcast, Season 3. Brought to you by the VoiceOver Network. With special sponsors, Hindenburg, Apogee, Source Elements, and Focusrite. My name's Rachel Naylor. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you check out our next episode, bringing you more behind-the-scenes stories in the voiceover industry.